Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Good morning. Um, what a joy just to be with you. He, he took a chance and I had to negotiate with my younger children uh, because they are in school and they said, we're going to miss school. Um, they're online school, so they can't catch up. But... Um, uh, but so we, we, we negotiated, and what a joy just to be with you. I love your venue. I love the vibe. love being here. love to see all our friends. Um, it's such a great joy to see all of you. I told, I repented to Stefan that I did not post anything on social media that we are here. Because we realized if we start to post, then we're going to have to... Um, see many of you and we, we try to show our younger children the, the Cape uh, Town area and apologies for that so I just apologize we will come back again and then visit uh, is that okay I am so excited to share the word and thank you Pastor Yeni. thank you just for who you are uh, three years amazing uh, church plant um, you know I remember the time when we were three years old as a, as a church, and, and somebody shared this with us. They said, when, you're, when a child turns three, they become God-conscious, and they become aware of God. And I think for where you are going as a church and as a family, you're going to be more aware of God's presence, God's touch, and how God is going to open supernatural doors and things for you. And so in that moment, um, just just inviting more into into your into your world where you are where you live beyond the sunday but into a, a monday experience and to a, a weekly experience so i want to share this morning uh, and i saw it's actually so part of your slogan and your your theme i want to share when christ's love moves into a neighborhood and uh, uh, there's a few stories i want to share with you and some scriptures I just want to share with you today. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. And I thank you, Lord, that you will um, help us that the word will come true and, and bring in our hearts. And thank you, Lord, that your word cannot return void in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I've read a book of one of my favorite authors. Uh, he actually helped translate the Bible into a different translation. And that's Eugene Peterson of The Message. And he had wrote a book many years ago. He's now with Jesus, uh, Eugene Peterson, but he wrote a book, When Christ Moves in a Thousand Places. And he goes through the Bible and it describes different places where Christ was revealed as, as God. And, and it's beautiful. But So he starts a story about him living in this, this uh, a small Montana, I think it's Montana, neighborhood, uh, I think it was Montana, yeah. Somewhere, yeah, Montana, where he grew up. It's a small neighborhood, and during the American summer times, which is normally from May till beginning of August, um, they were quite bored as children. And the biggest fun thing was as people moved from the one house to another house. Now, I had the privilege, I think it's a privilege, to move 19 times with my parents before we finished my trick. And I was in six different schools, and that's why we homeschool our children. It's just so much easier um, than to move them all around. I think there were more different online schools now. But, um, uh, and and I, I realized when we had to move, my dad always had this thing. If we don't unpack a box, 
uh, within three days when we move in, it will stay there. And that was sort of our rule. Um, you have to unpack it, otherwise it's going to stay in that box. Now, Eugene talks about this story where they were quite bored, nothing to do during the summertime. And, and what they did is help. Sometimes when people moved, people moved from one house to another one, and they had, they had all these big trucks, the buckies. And his dad had one big one, and so they helped us as uh, young boys to help and help move people. And they loved it, because when they had to move, they were able to go into the attic, and they were able to go and see what, was, what did these people leave behind, and, and somehow saw something about these people's lives, how they moved. But there was this one house, close to their house, and he and his two friends were sitting there, and there was nothing really happening in this house, and then suddenly, for the first time in his life, he saw uh, a, a, a a moving truck, a furniture truck moving. Uh, and it was the first time in his life he saw one of that, and it, it meant something very special. And, and the truck came two days before the people actually moved in. And, and this is part of his story, how he shares this. Uh, he says, My friends and I were thoroughly bored, having exhausted the resources for play and entertainment through the vacation months. We had been waiting all summer for someone to move in wondering who our new neighbors might be. And then everything changed with the arrival of a moving van and an unoccupied house. It was a North American van line vehicle, majestic in its red, white, and blue logo, a huge truck and a half block long. It was the first time I've ever seen a moving van. It dominated the street, bringing an aura of expectancy, the promise of new life in the neighborhood. And then he says, when they started to carry out the things from houses, um, that's what he said, we saw the secrets of what really happened inside of those people's lives. The pictures, the furniture, how they were, were clean or messy. But when this new moving man moved into their neighborhood, it was about 10 buckies big, pickup trucks big. It was massive. And so when the people moved, we are, were so excited. We waited on the outside, watched this whole thing, and like, yes, the first thing that we saw is they have kids, because there was two bicycles coming out. And they were so excited, new friends moving into the neighborhood. Finally, our neighborhood is changing. And then the bicycles coming out, and, and then they had skis. Now, we lived in a ski country, but none of us ever skied. So only rich kids did that, and it was obvious that the neighborhood was being upgraded. <laughs> then a motorcycle. I've never been close to a motorcycle before. Maybe we'll be taken for a ride. Every item that came off that van was a clue that we might expect something from our new neighbors. And then, when an immense plate glass mirror appeared, we knew that these people were very wealthy. All the furniture looked like expensive. We had hit the jackpot. These people we didn't know simply by moving into the neighborhood were already transforming our lives. We could never be bored again. We would never be ornery again. And then Mrs. and Mrs. Tipton, with their two teenage children, Billy and Cynthia, and their expensive Chrysler sported New York license plates, Moved in. That was the icing on the cake. 
We could feel the culture and the celebrity that fabled East rubbing on of us. Our neighborhood was suddenly better and more interesting and more important. We couldn't wait for what's coming up next. And then he goes and he says, according to the Gospel of John, he sets us up for somebody moving into the neighborhood. And he reads this, and I want to read this well-known scripture. In John 1.14, and I think after hearing the story, you will understand why Eugene Peterson has put it in such a way, he says. And the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. We saw the glory of our own eyes and a one-of-a-kind of glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to the finish. When God moved into our lives, everything changed. We were upgraded by that very moment when He moved into our lives that were, were at the end of a rope, end of things, and we didn't see where we were going. God moved into our lives. And today I want to share to you what Christ loves move into a neighborhood. And how Christ's love wants to move in and through our lives. Now, when I heard the term love, for me, uh, when I think about the lion and the lamb, I would always think, always think when people spoke about love and God's love, I would more see a lamb type of character than a lion. It was a little bit, I wasn't very fond of the of Apostle John like, man, this guy is just putting his head on Jesus. That's weird. It's like, he's, he's a little bit weird guy. He's a huggy-huggy guy. And I'm okay with huggy-huggies, but not like, you know, like so huggy-huggy with another guy. It's like, it's like. But the more I started to read and how John, and started, started to understand John's story and how God transformed John, uh, I understand understood something about the transforming love of God. C.S. Lewis writes uh, in his well-known series about um, uh, the, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And there's this quote when Mr. Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. Susan is surprised since she assumed Aslan was a man. Then she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. And she asked Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver answers, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. When we abide in Christ's love, we discover that Christ's love is for us to know him more intimately. Christ's love is more than an emotional feeling. Christ's love is a powerful force. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and then he mentioned that, that we are people of faith, and that's what, you know, when I read this and I thought about, you know, yes, people of faith, people of hope. But then he says, Paul doesn't try to disclaim that one is least than the other, but he disclaims that something powerful is seated in love. He says, but now faith, hope, and love remains. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So what does it mean to know him more intimately? Again, back to John 15, verse 9 to 11 says, 
I've loved you the way my fathers loved me. Make yourself at home in my love. If you keep our commands, you will remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. I kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. You see, the beloved apostle, which he describes of himself, John, who puts his head close to Jesus, describes this in the Wust translation. Kenneth Wust describes this like this. Just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain within the sphere of the love which is mine. So, he describes this as a, a love to know him more intimately. So, Christ's love is more than an emotion or feeling. It's not like an old hippie song and you feel like, peace, peace, and I'm on something and I'm like, I just have the feeling. It's not, it's not that feeling. It's not, not just emotion. It's, it's something powerful. G.K. Chesterton described this like this following. He says, love is not blind. That's the last thing it is. Love is bound. And the more it's bound, the less it's blind. Now, John, Apostle John, when you start to get introduced to John, you see he's a forceful guy. I mean, he's actually very rough on the edges. Uh, his mom's name was Salome, nothing with your wife, but, but just a strong woman. Uh, they, they're actually called the Sons of Thunder. I mean, it's like, they loud, you first hear them, then you see them. They are, they are the guys that don't wait in line, they, they skip the line, they, they just go to the front and, and like, oh, well, there's cake? Oh, we already had a few. How many are you supposed to have each one? They're just like abrupt kind of people. When you read what Mark and, and Luke talks about, both in chapter 9, about John and his brother James, they, one day they were going to a, Samar a, Samar a Samaritan, Samaritan town, sorry, and, and these people didn't receive Jesus. And this was their response. John, Apostle John, which was, his head was on Jesus, he's like, Lord, should we ask heaven to send a fire to burn this town? I mean, it's like the moshi guy, like the hippie guy. No, no, no. This was like, let's just send fire, Lord. Just wipe them off the earth. <laughs> In Luke 9, verse 54, it says, When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? See, all they wanted to have to punish these people. I think we read in 1 John 4, 16, the same John writes this, he says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he abides in love, abides in him, and God in him. He, he, he describes this as a commandment, as a place where there's divine, self-sacrificial love. The greater love no one has had, in the boost it says the following, um, greater love this no one has has, namely that anyone should lay down his life on behalf of his friends. And Jesus said, but you have called friends because all the things I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not make me the object of your choice for yourself, but I selected you out for myself 
And I appointed you in order that you might be going away, constantly bearing fruit, and that your fruit might be remaining in order that whatever things you might ask the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I'm enjoying, enjoining with you, upon you, namely, that you should love loving one another with a divine self-sacrificial love. You see, when Jesus washed their feet, he knew one of them will betray him and one will, will reject him. If you know you're going to go in a meeting and one of these people are going to betray you and one of them are going to deny you, will you still want to do something special for them? Jesus knew it. He knew it. And in the midst of that, he was willing to take the risk. One of the beautiful things is, you know, we... Um, Judas, Jude, Judas, is it Judas, sorry, Jude, Judas. Judas. When he came and he betrayed Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus met him, he said to him, Friend, why have you done this? He, he didn't come man, and say, Betrayer. Even in the midst of the deepest betrayal, he still called him friend. So how do we know him more intimately? C.S. Lewis again described the following. He says, don't waste your time bothering where you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we'll find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. How do we move into this place of intimacy with Him? In Ephesians 3, in the Amplified Classic Edition, it just describes it so well. It says, Make Christ, through your faith, verse 17, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your heart. Now, I know Stefan and Eugene, and I know Henny, you will know the scripture. Steve, I've, I've preached this one. It's, it's one that I've stood on for many, many times. May Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. If I have to break it down, settle down, abide, make his permanent home. There's, there's a huge difference when somebody comes to visit you from take a lot. They come to the door, they sanitize, and they leave the packet, the parcel. You don't invite him for tea, you don't invite him for coffee, you don't invite him to sleep over. They just come. But, but if someone comes and visits you at your home, and I, I know outside it's so beautiful that you don't like to visit too much in your homes, but, but when you finally invite somebody to your home, there's, there's a way that they come in, they come into your living room, they might sit down, you will show them where the bathrooms are, and, but they don't come with their suitcases. I mean, it would be very strange when we visited Henny in Salome yesterday, if we would take out our suitcases and like, oh, we're coming for a meal. Thank you so much. It's like, ah, did we miss something? Uh, now, a f few months ago, our, our nephew started to study in Poch. And that was a quick move. And my brother-in-law, they didn't have a plan. He was on his way to Pretoria, and then he came to Poch. And, and he moved, actually moved in. 
And for him to move in, we had to move stuff out. And we had to adopt our lifestyle. We, I mean, the way we, we walked in the, in the hall we, was a little bit different. Because somebody else is moving in, making them at home in our place. When Christ comes into your life, He doesn't just want to visit. He wants to stay there. I remember the story when, when a pastor was locking up the church and uh, his son was with him. He says, Daddy, did we lock Jesus in the church now? <laughs> in a sense, many of us think when we come to a place that we lock him down and we walk away. Tommy Tenney describes of a well-known friend is now with Jesus. Describes the story in um, God's presence and he describes the following thing. Of this friend was quite large. And uh, there wasn't a lot of chairs that could hold. He broke many, many chairs because of his weight. And so he would come to his friends' houses and, and he would sit in the car and wait. And then when he has enough courage, he would go and knock at the door. And say, hey, come in. And the thing that he will do is he will look at the house and he will browse around and see if they change their chairs, one that can carry his weight. Sometimes when God is coming to your door, to your house, he doesn't want to visit, he doesn't want to deliver a parcel, he wants to make his permanent home in your heart. And he's looking for that chair. Are you willing? Are you able to carry him? And when we talk about the glory of God, there's, there's, there's a Hebrew word called chabot, which means weightiness. It means, is our hearts becoming big enough that he can stay? That he can live? That his love can make himself at home? That's what verse 18 says. It says, when he makes himself at home, it says that you may know the power and be strong to apprehend and with grasp of all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, which is the breadth, length, height, and depth of it. And then, verse 19, that you really may come to know practically and through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled through your, all your being unto all the fullness of God, that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. God's love is not a mushy thing, it's not a feeling, it's not just emotion. It is some aspects of that, but it's a powerful force. They, they talk about, if you research, they talk about a love that's bound. It, 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 they say it's a love that has a hysterical strength. That's, that's a term. And there's, there's this, if you search on, on, on a net and you search on articles, there's many things you find about love giving people supernatural power. There's a story about a grandmom who uh, had a grandson working under the the vehicle, the car, in the early 1980s, and the car, she suddenly heard a crash. And when she came out, she saw that the car actually collapsed. He was working under the car, collapsed on him. And the story goes like this for true, that she picked up the car, 1,700 kilograms, picked up the car, took him out. 
That, that, that's not normal. It's, it will take 10 men or more to pick up a car. But it's a hysterical love. And that's the powerful force that God has given us inside of our lives that He wants to flow through us. It's a, life that, a love that doesn't say no. It's a life and a love that says, I want to love because there's a hurting world. Martin Luther King said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do it. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do it. Now, the following statement might be a little political, and forgive me for saying that if, if it might offend you, and I'm sorry about that, but um, for me, he's really one of my heroes. Um, Judge, Chief Justice Zonda. I don't know if you know the story about him. Um, you can actually YouTube it and search it. When he applied to become the deputy president of the Constitutional Court, um, Judge Mocheng Mocheng asked him, tell us your story. Now, if I, if I have it correctly, roughly like this, he was one of nine children, and, and his mom in grade 11 lost her job, and uh, she was a nurse, and he was living in uh, this small... Uh, Zulu, predominantly Zulu town, Zulu Natal, and um, but he was privileged enough. He was very clever. He was privileged enough, the oldest of the children, to go to a private Christian school. And and according to the custom, was he's the oldest child, so he has to go out of school and has to start to provide for the family. And he begged the family. He spoke to the eldest. Said, "Please allow me to continue and finish my matric." In his back of his mind, he had this thing. If he can finish his matric, then maybe he can go to university. And if he goes to university, he can provide for his family in a better way than just go and work somewhere. And so when he finished well matric, he was accepted in the University of KwaZulu-Natal to study law. But the family and the elders of the city said, no, 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 no. Now the deal is now. Now you have to go and work. And provide for your family. His mom was knitting things and selling knitwear to keep them alive as a family. And he thought about the following. If he can go and make a loan somewhere. And he can provide for living money for his mom. If he goes and study and he finishes that, he can pay back that loan. So he took all of his courage and went to a Mr. Bax Suleiman. We had a big cash and carry shop in the, in the neighboring town. And he didn't know this guy from anywhere, but he went to him and he just said, this is who I am. I, if I can go and study, I can provide. Are you willing to give me a loan? No credit, nothing. And Mr. Suleiman said, mm, I'm not going to give you a loan. But what I will do is I will give you vouchers for your mom each month to come and get some groceries. So he studied, he did well, sorry, and uh, after three years, going back and forth to the businessman, he said, sir, I'm here, I'm ready, I've got a job now, I'm ready to pay back my loan, can we make an arrangement? 
And Mr. Buck Suleiman, a Muslim, said the following. He said, no, go help others. And today we are sitting with the Zonda Commission. We expose corruption of years and years and years because somebody was willing to say, go help others. In a research I've discovered that two-thirds of the commencement speeches that are mostly in the U.S., have the following theme in. It has as a theme, either by the president or the chairperson of the student council, have the following theme is, go help others. And the study and the research says the following, is that people are so disappointed because when they go into the corporate world, they start in New York, they start in Washington, they start in all these big companies, it's becoming, they're becoming part of the rat race. And it's like, no, no, there's no time to serve in the community. Right now, you need to work hard, 8 to 5 or 8 to 11 or whatever, you, you're going to work hard. And so, thank you. You're kind. I hope I don't have more. So, thank you so much. So, so that people want to go and help others. Many of you might have been that. When you finish school or you finish your studies, you heard the following now go into the world and go help others. And then you have to start to pay, repay your bills and you have to pay for things to provide and live. And, and it becomes something in your life when you look back, you think, man, I don't have time. I mean, I barely have time for this morning, but I don't have time. And they ask me to do other things and I don't have time for that. And when I hear we have to look after the poor, we have to deal with, share the gospel, it's, it's overwhelming because I don't feel like I can do it. Now, I think maybe you've heard that. Go help others. And I think in KLC Stellenbosch, it's an amazing vehicle, an amazing group of people. We've got leaders who, who wants to go and help. And, and maybe it's just sharing the good news with somebody at your work or someone that you have, um, that you engage. And, and sometimes I want to say it's, Many of us, and whatever you're doing, I honor what you're doing. Work is honorable, so I don't want to say about that, um, that some works are better and some are not. But, but sometimes people feel like when they're in the corporate world, it's easy to share the gospel with the car guard to share it with a colleague. Because with the car guard, might be, with my tip, might open a door, but, or, but if I go and share it with a colleague, I feel like I might be rejected. But I want to challenge you, go help others. Yeah. Have a love that moves into the neighborhood. It's time that when you are moving in with Christ's love into your neighborhood, that cannot stay the same. You cannot have the same place and the same thing. When you are moving in, you're moving in with the presence and the power of the living God. Like Eugene was so expectant to see this moving truck moving in. And think, the whole neighborhood, just seeing a mirror, is changing, is being upgraded. <laughs> May it be like that. Because we are Christ followers. And we move into a place that people will see 
that because of us, the whole neighborhood has just been upgraded. In John 14, 23, in a message, it says, because of a loveless world, Jesus said, it's a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word. My father will follow him. And we will move right into the neighborhood. I don't know if that's enough of a cue for you, Celeste, but um, if you want to have a cue, just share that story. But, um, but I will let me continue with my story. You know, John had disciples, and John was the only apostle that didn't die a martyr death, but he was, because of his love, they banned him to the island Patmos. He was so dangerous that they didn't want him close to any church, any people. And he, he was close to, to 80, 90 years before he passed. One of his disciples, he had amazing disciples, and one of them was the Bishop of Antioch, um, Polycarp. He's, he's one of my, my heroes. And Polycarp got saved. Now remember, John, in the end, was lying on Jesus' um, shoulder. The same guy who wanted to send out the fire. And his mom wanted them to sit on the right and, left and right hand of God. That very same John became a forceful force. That they, they say when he preached at the Colosseum, he actually preached at the Colosseum, and it was on his way, it was actually on his way to be martyred, to be killed. And so many people got saved that they banned him to Patmos. Like, you, we don't want, <laughs> you cannot be in society. Now he's disciple Polycarp. Um, 86 years old. They have um, a steeple of fire. We're gonna, they're going to burn him. And the captain said to him, pleaded with him, he said, listen, you're an old man. Just reject Jesus for a moment and we will spare your life. And he said to them, 86 years I've been his servant. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was the bishop of the church of Smyrna. And the story goes like this. When they wanted to bound him, they said, no, I don't need to be bound. And they saw a young child who didn't have shoes, and they said, first give my shoes. And they said, when the fire was starting to burn, it actually made a circle around him. And one of the soldiers got so angry, he pushed a spear inside of him, and he died. But the very captain took him captive was the one who was martyred two, three days later because he accepted Jesus. It was that season where people said that the seed of the martyrs or the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There was a time when people didn't love their lives unto death they love God. And that's what Revelation and Apostle John is speaking about. The revelation of Jesus Christ, not of the Antichrist, of something else, but of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb 
and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives, even faced. We Christ through you, the moving track of moving into your neighborhood. Will the neighborhood be upgraded? Because you moved in. In three years, as a family celebrating this, we trust God that KLC and its members will move into the neighborhood of Stellenbosch and surrounding areas. And the neighborhood will be upgraded because of what you're carrying. May you populate heaven and plunder hell. And may God's presence be upon you. Can I pray with you? Lord, I thank you for this amazing, amazing family. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having interaction of so many of these wonderful people in our lives. And Lord, we are reminded maybe we are lost like a son of thunder who wants to bring fire upon the earth and all those bad things. But Lord, maybe we those those like Buck Suleiman who says, go help others. May we bring lasting change when Christ moves. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstalenbosch.co.za.